Yeah, so we are going to go ahead and get started, and then I know people will continue to, to come in, right, as they make their way through the crowd. All right, so I'm going to formally kick this off since this has been recorded um, with just an intro. So, say, so this is um, it's your small group 3D. My name is Tiffany Crosby. All right, and, I, and so I'll be your presenter for this session. Um, I put the notes, I didn't do it until last night, and that was intentional, but I did put the notes that I'm going off of. I added them to the session in Scheduler. So you have them, you can download them. I don't tend to pass them out during, because what I find is then people are trying to flip through them, see where we're at, and, and I want your attention, and I don't want you worried about what, wait, which point are you on? Plus, I am never good at sticking to a script, so I'm just going to tell you that now, and so if I don't give it to you, you don't know what it was supposed to be, so then you don't know that I jumped from this point to this point, all right? So, there you have it. <laughs> um. Uh, if you go into the scheduling app, into the session, I attached it in there. So you will, so you will have access to it. There are some seats up here. Yeah, there's a, and there's a couple over there, but there's four up in the front here. Alright, so what we're going to do in the time we have. So this talks about, is your small group 3D? This idea of disciples, discipling disciples, right? So that's where the, the 3D comes from. Um, but what I want to try and do here is simplify, simplify something that we have made unnecessarily complicated. Right? Simplify a concept that at his heart is an easy concept, but we, we do what we tend to do. We get a hold of it, and we start adding all of these things, and we start adding all of these um, attributes and aspects and all of this stuff. And so I'm going to try and boil it back down a little bit. Discipleship at its heart is simply a process by which a believer grows in spiritual maturity. That's it. Right, and I've read so many books on discipleship, and it's so funny that very few of them give you a basic definition of discipleship. They they give you all of these different things that you need to think about, but it's just a growth process in spiritual maturity, right? And so when we look at that as it relates to small groups, we're going to look at some of the. I'm going to use a very basic. Almost going back to when you first learn how to write or first how, learn how to do outlines and you do the who, what, where, when, why, how, right? When you're, if you've ever taken a journalism class or any of those things, that's kind of the very fundamental things they say. Every article needs to answer, all of those type of things, right? So I actually set this up to follow that type of a pattern, the who, what, where, when, why, how type thing. Um, not necessarily in that exact order, but th those things. And when, so when you look at the outline, that's what you're going to see. The why is really simple. Why do we want to incorporate discipling into small groups? 
And it really stems from Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says, go and make disciples. Doesn't say go and start small groups. Doesn't say go and whatever. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right? That's really our commission. And we call that the Great Commission. Right? And if it is the Great Commission, then it should be infused in, in everything. When we're in church, what is the purpose of church? We are making disciples. We are in small group. We are making disciples. When we, when we come together in this leadership conference, we are making disciples who make disciples. Every component of what we are doing, from fellowship to studying the world's work to every other piece, is all about making disciples. Right? So small group, it's not this revolutionary concept that small group should be a component of making disciples. I mean, that is our mandate. That's our mandate. But beyond that, I, I put two points in the notes here that you'll see. I'm going to um, semi-read them, but just know you do not have to take all this down because it's in the notes. But one of the things I found, when we, when we have a new believer, a Bible in the hands of a new believer can be dangerous in a bad way because they don't really know what to do with it, right? So we need to help them understand what it is, help them understand how to read it, how to understand it, how to apply it. Self-guided study should not be their only or primary option, right? Yeah, and there is so much stuff out, out on the Internet now. You know how easy it is? It is easy to get to good stuff, and it is easy to get to bad stuff, right? And if they don't know the difference between the two, you can end up with all kinds of philosophies and all kinds of, of other things, right? So small group has to help them to be able to have that filter on what's out there, right? So that that's another component of that why. At the same time, though, as it can be dangerous, we also have to appreciate that new believers have the greatest access to non-believers, yeah. right? Almost all of their friends or all of their friends fall in that category, Okay. So properly equipped new believers can be dangerous in a good way. Okay. Um, so while we want a process of discipleship, we don't want to stifle their enthusiasm for sharing the transformation that is happening in their lives. So we don't want it to be this rigid process. We don't want to think that until they finish this whole discipleship process, they can't share their faith. That, that's also not what we're going for, right? So we also have to recognize we're not teaching them to be like us, right? Uh, we're teaching them how to follow Christ, right? They're not following us. They're following Christ, or that should be the goal, right? So that's kind of the why. So the what, if we go back to Matthew 28, 18 and 20, like this, I don't know... Um, when I was putting this together, it's kind of interesting. Like, why have I never done this before? When it says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
the natural question is, what have you commanded us? Right? If we are supposed to teach everything that's been commanded, then what has been commanded? Right? Until we understand that, we can't truly fulfill that command. Right? So that needs to be our guide. Um, and so I started looking at, and this is not an exhaustive list. We don't have time for an exhaustive list, right? But I started looking at some of the key passages where disciple is used, right? And what is that principle that is being conveyed in it? So, and I'm just going to give you this, I'm going to give you the scripture. I'll read the scripture, but if you want to take the scripture reference down, you can. But again, these are in the notes. Every scripture I have here is in the notes. So, you're, you're welcome to go that. And for those of you who came in after we started, then I uploaded the notes to the session and scheduler. So, you can download it. Um, so, Luke 14.33 where it says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. That's about surrender. Right? So one of the things we should be teaching as a component of small groups is surrender. Right? What does it mean to surrender our lives to Christ? What does it mean to surrender our thoughts, our feelings, our attitudes, our our beliefs, even our traditions, right? What does it mean to surrender? Uh, Luke 9.23, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Sacrifice. Right? So what does it mean to live sacrificially? Right? What does that look like? Right? So that should be a component uh, and we'll get to the how, right? But that can, should be a component of what we're doing in, in small groups. Surrender, sacrifice. Then we go to uh, 1 Peter 2.21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Right? So a willingness to suffer. That's not a popular one. You bring that topic up in your small groups, that will not be popular. Right? But a willingness to suffer. Now, that doesn't mean we go out and we look for suffering. In fact, we don't have to. If we're actually being obedient to everything else, it will find us. <laughs> right? Um, so it's really about an attitude, though, and a heart condition. So what does it mean to have a heart that is willing to suffer for Christ. Not suffer because we're making bad decisions. Not suffer because we're not willing to surrender our will. Not suffering because there's something we really, really want that we shouldn't want. Right? And so we're going to deny ourselves something that we shouldn't want in the first place. That's not really the sacrifice or the suffering we're, we're actually talking about. Right? Um, John 8.31 to the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Right? So, obedience. What does it mean to hold to the teachings of Christ? That often is going to mean that you're going to have to change going to have to change the way you think about some things. Most people, especially now, are not going to come into small groups with a biblical worldview. Right, and so how do we help them 
in this context start to have an understanding of what an actual biblical worldview is and what that means. Right? And that's going to upset some people. There's going to be some values that they've held that are actually in conflict with God's word. There's going to be some traditions that they've had that are in conflict. And how do you help them to confront that and let that go? Right. Then John 13, 34 to 35 A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? So, love for one another. Now, there is no qualification on that love for one another. So that doesn't mean that I love you because I like you. Right? Doesn't mean that we share all the same views. Right? That we have all the same preferences, right? And that is actually becoming more and more countercultural, because now it's very, it's become very common. If someone has a different view than than you, you unfriend them, you block them, you, right? You shut them off in some way. And so you think about the beauty and the challenge of small groups. You're bringing together people that often have come from very different perspectives, different walks of life, different views. They may be in different seasons, stages of life, all these other things, and you're asking them to do life together, right? And so just the sheer act of doing that is like, and how do you love one another as you walk through that? Then uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1. we're almost done with the, the what? First uh, Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my examples as I follow the example of Christ. Followership. Now that's also not very popular. A lot of people want to lead. A few people want to follow. But it also means, and this is going to get to the who when we get to that piece. right? Who is leading small groups? Um, and there's all kinds of philosophies out there, but for me, the biggest thing I always look for is if my, if the people in that small group follow the examples being set by the small group leaders, is that going to lead them closer to Christ or farther away from them? Right? Because if we're going to say followership, those you are putting out front as leaders should be worthy of being followed. That doesn't mean they're perfect. That doesn't mean their spiritual journey is done. Or none of our journeys are done. Amen. Right? So we're all still growing. So it's not a matter of they've arrived and they've reached this state. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about that they have, they, they have at least acknowledged that they need to surrender their will. Right? That they're they're teachable, all of that stuff, and we'll get to some of that on on the who. Um, and then the last one, oh, one more um, passage with that one, which is uh, Ephesians five one to two. Therefore, be imitators of Christ, or imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
right? And so there is this idea, even though they are not truly following us, right? There is this idea that our lives should be worthy of imitation, just like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? So there should be something there. Um, and then Mark 1.17, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Evangelism. And that is another word that often people just freak out about. Because they're like, I'm not an evangelist. I haven't been given the gift of evangelism. Um, like if you've, if you've accepted Christ, you have been given the gift of evangelism, <laughs> right? The measure of it will vary, just like the measure of faith and other things, but you have been given it because God equips us for what he calls us to do, and he has called us to be fishers of, of men, and so therefore we are equipped for it. We may have to understand how we're equipped, and that's part of what small groups can do. Right? They can help people understand how they've been equipped. So take me. I am more of a one-on-one or just a few people type you know, thing. That's where I love coaching. I, I coach. I facilitate. I mentor. Right? That is part of what I do. Um, so I am not likely. I am less likely. I won't go up and preach if I have to but most of what I do is going to be more in the one-on-one conversation that's that's how I do well there are other people they're the exact opposite they would they would love nothing more than to be up there in front of 500 600 people but you get them one-on-one with a person they're like uh what do I say right (laughs) okay um and so it's understand, helping them to understand how their unique combination of gifts, of talents, of personality all work together to help them to evangelize and get rid of this. Here's this magic formula for evangelism. So you need to be this. You need to be an extrovert. All evangelists are extroverts. That's not true. Right? I teach all the time. All the time. And I'm an introvert. Right? When I say that, most people are like, there's no way. Because they know what I do. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. But after I do this, you know what I generally do in my evenings? I journal. I read a book. I don't have the TV on. I don't have anything on. My husband doesn't understand it. Like, how in the world do you have absolute silence? I, because I've been with people all day. Right? And, and so, but helping people to understand that. That's part of the, the what. So we have the, if we are keeping track, surrender, sacrifice, willingness to suffer, obedience, love for one another, fellowship, and evangelism. Sounds pretty much like a Christian life, right? <laughs> that is really what we're trying to get to at, from a small group standpoint if we're going to make disciples in small groups. The question then is how? And here's the thing. The, the how part is, is several, there's several things I'm going to cut. 
I'm going to cover, but most of it is primarily teaching. If we go back to Matthew, it says teaching them, right? How do we teach? And well, let's flip that. How do you learn? How do you learn? You learn by example. You learn by processing. You learn by having to reflect. You learn by doing. You learn, right? So we don't have to get into this. Well, how can we do this? Well, there's all kinds of ways to teach. We can teach. We are teaching when we're studying God's word together, right? And having discussion around it. But you know what? We're also teaching when we involve them in routine service. When you, when someone goes with you, or or you're just cleaning up after church, you know what? You're teaching them how to serve. And how to serve without needing thanked. <laughs> without everyone needing to know what they're doing. Right? And, and so, um, so involving in routine service. Sharing stories. When you share your own story, when you get them to share theirs in a small group setting, you are, you, you're teaching. Right? They are, they are sharing some of their life experiences, especially if you start asking questions about, you know, what made them go down that path or how were they, how, you know, what did they learn from it, all those things, any type of reflective questions, they are learning. Right? Um, when you engage them in scheduled outreach, that is teaching them to follow Christ. Uh, when we provide compassionate care or help them, Provide compassionate care, so you know whether it's a benevolence fund, whether it's having a baby shower for someone, whether it's you know someone in need or whatever it is, whether it's collecting groceries, whether well, all of those things are teaching them, right? And it's helping them grow and being able to follow Christ. Um, coaching in the moment, so whenever we um, Whenever there is something that they do that is not necessarily in line with God's word, and we just, with love, speak the truth, right? We are discipling them. Um, and so, all of these components can easily happen in small group. They can happen during moments of fellowship. It's not this, uh, most people when they think of a small group, what the questions they want to ask is, how much prayer should we have? What curriculum should we have? What, um, what really constitutes a, a small group? Is it okay if it's all fellowship and there's no spiritual component? Or, or um, all, some, a lot of those type of questions. And I always want to go back, and I think I frustrate people sometimes because I always say, you know, is it helping people grow? Right? Is it helping people learn how to love one another? Is it helping people um, learn and identify some areas in the lives where they may be weak? Right? I do believe that there needs to be a spiritual component to every small group meeting because that spiritual component can look different. It doesn't mean there has to be this full-blown curriculum. There could be a devotional. There could be something. But the spiritual component is what separates a small group from just a social club, from just a meetup. Right? And there are tons of social clubs, tons of meetups. And so if you're not going to have the spiritual component, I wouldn't call it a small group. It's just hanging out with some friends. 
Okay? Which the world provides you in spades. Um, setting that purple, uh, that personal example. Um, now, I will say, once I, when I start to say that, some of the questions people say, but how do we do this? Right? How do we do this in a very easy way? Or we don't have money or resources or other things like for curriculums or some of that other stuff. You know what? There are a ton of great resources out there that cost nothing. And then there are some really good ones that have a very low cost. So like REAP, I know um, um, Rusty, Pastor Rusty, is doing a, a session on discipleship tools today. And um, REAP is a, it's a guided discipleship materials. It does last around 18 months or so to get through it all. It's completely free. It has an entire preset curriculum designed for the new believer that walks them from the very beginning of what this is all about and all the way through, really, what it means to be a Christian, what are the faith principles. It is free. It's an amazing curriculum. Um, there's the Read Scripture app, which I have on my phone. I love that. I go into it every now and then. But there are videos that introduce each section of the Bible, and they are the animated videos, and it's wonderful. And then it has Bible readings, but it makes it very chunk-sized. But the, the videos summarize the entire, that entire book of the Bible so it can see the overall message and then can go into the reading and it is um it is a really good it looks like let me see if I can so you may not you're not all going to be able to see this because it's small but it looks like this if I do the it's just read scripture. I go into it, and like here, here's a video on the creation of fall, Genesis 1 to 11. You, you, you would go in and you would play it, and then it, there is this whole great video, and I'm not going to play the whole thing, but you will see how it animates the whole thing. So it just goes chapter like that. Right. Yeah. Read scripture. Read R E A D. It's the Bible project. Yeah. So I mean, and every and so you can go through that, and it's free. And it's and most people, if they're visual, they will love this. And God makes these creatures called humans or Right. Uh, and and then there's there's right now media. Um, and then there's also other video series that the Bible Project has that isn't even in the read scriptures. So there's even more that is not that is out on the website. That is not necessarily in the app that will take you into some additional concepts if you want to focus on a particular point. Uh, so there's all these things out there. So it's not so much about the tools. The tools are there. 
But it is about the intention, right? Because what a lot of times what people lack is they lack a a discipline to actually use those tools on any type of regular basis. So part of what small groups need to do is help them to establish that discipline. Because it doesn't matter if I put this app on my phone if I never open it. Right? And having helping people establish that discipline when they've not had it. Right? Um, and so that's where... Um, I find it helpful to just set a goal. It might just be, it might be a simple goal of, you know what, this month our goal is to have you look at the videos associated with Genesis. Not even reading scripture, just look at the videos. Right? The videos are five to seven minutes in length. Some are shorter, some are only three minutes, but somewhere between three minutes to about seven or eight minutes. Right, and that might be the only objective. Right, it might have to be broken down, especially in the beginning, into very bite-sized chunks. But remember, this is a journey. Then we're not trying to turn them into super Christians in a month. Right, <laughs> that is not the goal here. Right, we're helping them to establish lifestyle habits that are going to work for them and help them to continue to grow whether they stay with small group for six months or whether they're continuing small groups for the rest of their life, we're starting to help them to establish some habits, right? Habits that all lead them into what they need to learn to grow, that surrender and that all of those things. Um, so when... You know, how frequent does the contact need to be for this to, for the discipleship process to be effective? What do you think? At least weekly. weekly. Have you had anything that's become a habit that you've done less frequently than weekly? Not on purpose. No. Christmas. (laughs) Christmas Christmas yeah Christmas that might be it there are some holidays that fit that but I mean when you think about it you know um, right right and so with with small group with with small group we're trying to break that Right. Um, but the idea is we live in a digital age. So when we say how frequent the contact is, what we do have to think about is not all of that contact has to be live. Some of it should be live, but not all of it needs to be live. So I like to think of it as how, what is the contact, frequency of contact going to be for live? And then what is the frequency of, of contact going to be for digital? Right? Because the two together is really how many touch points you're having. Could it be based on the individual? Um, I mean, digitally wise. Like, 
Because some people, if you like bug them every day, they're going to be like, you know what I mean? So where other people, they might need that daily contact. Um, and I would say it's, it's more of the how or the what. I would, I would, I would not start to customize this by person. One, that is an administrative nightmare. An absolute nightmare. And the reality is if they don't want to read it, they don't have to read it. <laughs> they don't want to play it, they don't have to play it. Right? Um, but you do want, remember, we are trying to change thought patterns. Thought patterns don't change because they, you, if you just talk about them maybe once a month. And if the frequency, let's say the live meeting is only once a month. So a, a lot of small groups are doing at least twice a month. Some are doing weekly. But let's say it is only once a month and they don't show up. So because of something, maybe they're out of town or they, their children have something. They had a conflict of some type. That means their next contact isn't going to be for at least another month. So that means it's been at least two months since they've had any contact. Right? That is, there is no way you are changing behaviors if you only have a, if you are only having a contact every two to three months. No way. Right? Are we allowed to Sure, absolutely. Okay. Um, does it have to be live while digital, or can you set it up so that it, just like you can set up social media to auto send, can you send videos? And absolutely. Right? And that was the thing. Well, even when we say the frequency, this can be preset. Right? Um, we have started going to uh, a lot of preset messages. You can send preset text messages. You can send, uh, do preset postings on, on Facebook if you have a group page. And so you can literally plan out the whole week or whole month's worth of touch points if you wanted to. And they would just fire on the digital side. Um, and remember, even when I say live, live is can be face to face. It can also be virtual live, right? Uh, I like the face to face live because there are some things that people will say that they are just not going to share in a Zoom, right? I have no problem with Zoom. I use Zoom all the time. But there are certain things that people are not going to share in a Zoom. Or certain things that it, it just it just is. Um, but think of it this way. How fast life happens. A lot happens in a week. Especially if you're new in the faith. Because you've got to remember, if they make that decision and they're new, opposition is going to come their way. Right, and so they face that opposition, but they only get support in facing that opposition every couple of weeks or once a month. Do we really expect them to have the strength to withstand that? Not a chance. Not a chance. Right. And so, um, and, and I know, and, and this is the challenge. I will tell you the most challenging part of this whole thing is that you are going to have some small groups that are made of what 
a lot of people say were very mature Christians, right? Um, and they're going to feel like they don't need all of this and they don't want all of this. Um, but you're going to have some who they are new to they're new to the faith there and they and they need that. So we do have to figure out what makes sense. But I always challenge if for those or not always. What I've started to do is challenge some of those ones who feel they are really mature and they don't need all of this, then you should be doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And so that's great. Then why don't you take this person under your wing and you be the one who sends all these messages or you're you're the one who checks in with them each day, see how things are going or say a prayer over them, right? Since you don't need this, they do. And you are called to make a disciple. So unless you're discipling someone already, here you go. All right. Everybody's doing it. You know what? It's actually easier to implement it from no to everyone to than to try and implement it when there's something already in place. Because you don't have to break tradition. You don't have to try and break habits and all these things. Like, it's actually easier. I would rather build something from scratch than have to go in and try and reform something. It is so much harder. Right? Because people don't like change, and we've always done it this way, and, you know, all the things that came up this morning, right? You're fighting against all of that. And if people have never done it, they don't have their opinion on what's going to work and what's not going to work, and, you know, all of that other type of stuff. Um, But the other thing... Of have to realize is that this needs to go on for a significant duration. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have a semester system for small groups. I know a, a lot of churches have a semester system for small groups. We have even started doing some of that. We have some small groups that go all, all year long, and they've been going for years and years, but others that they're on a semester model, and you sign up for that semester, and here's your commitment, and at the end of that, you know, if you want to join another small group or, or, you know, then move to another small group. That, the fact that discipleship happens over a long period of time, all that really means is that we need to make sure that there are consistent behaviors happening in each small group. So that if someone moves from one small group to another, they are still being discipled. Right? And so that means there needs to be some baseline expectations as to what is going on in small groups. So it's not a, well, we can't, if we do this, so that means someone has to stay in the same small group for 18 months or for two years. No. It just means that regardless of what small group they go to, the leader should understand that your primary function is helping to make disciples. Right? And so that means you are going to have prayer and fellowship and teaching. How you do it might be different. What, what, what you're focused on in that moment may be different. But you are going to have that. Right? Um, so I'm just going to hit on the where and who real quick and then we can have just open discussion. Um, so where... 
this is going to sound bad, but where is pretty much anywhere and everywhere, right? So in the church, in the home, in the workplace, in the community, this can happen in any of those settings, right? Uh, it really doesn't matter where small groups meet. It doesn't. What matters is the environment that is set. And and so it needs to, the, the, the primary responsibility for small group leaders beyond um, buying into the vision of small groups for the church is to set the right environment for God's presence to be felt in that small group, right? So it is the preparation process, right? And so, and that gets a lot to the who. It is that it needs to be people who are ideally full of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, growing in spiritual maturity and value aligned, right? They they need to be they need to be working towards your vision, not against it, not towards their own agenda, not towards right. Uh, of good reputation and hospitable, right? Basic ho- hospitable spirit. It's not even about they need to have a big home or they need to have... That doesn't matter. I have known small groups that have met in apartments where you're like, I don't know how they crammed 50 people in here, but they did and they had pizza and they played games. Weird, who knows? But... <laughs> But they did it, and they had an amazing time. So it's really not about space or about... And hospitality is actually more of a heart attitude. And people can tell whether you're welcoming or not. Right? Um, And and so that piece... It has to be a non-negotiable. Right? If, if, If you have a person who's just a sour plus all the time that probably should not be your small group leader they just shouldn't if they walk around all the time woe is me and I'm just trying to make it through and make it to the finish line and tell you know or or you know at least be uh, still be in the running when that trumpet sounds that's all I'm trying to do that is not who you want as your small group leader. No. All right? It's just not. And it doesn't matter how good of an intention they have. It doesn't matter if they volunteer. This is where you have to, you have to be the leader, right? And you have to have the difficult conversation. Say, I love that you're willing to volunteer. This is not the right spot for you. Yeah. And that can be hard when we're so desperate for volunteers, right? Where we're just like, we just need people. Right? You're telling me I need people and I'm supposed to turn down someone who volunteered? Yes. <laughs> if they're not going to actually, would you, so my question would be, would you want that disciple to turn out just like that person? If you can't answer that question yes, then you probably don't want them being a small group leader. Um, so they have to have to. We have to understand that discipling is a shepherding process, right? Um, you want people who are going to pray for their charge, 
right, who is going to pray over these people, who will make themselves accessible, who will provide good examples that others can follow. You want people who actually care, right? And if they care, all of the other stuff will fall into place. If they care, they're going to care about what the curriculum is that's being taught. If they care, they're going to they're going to want to know what's going on in these people's lives. They're going to try and figure out how they can help their help them get through a particular situation, right? So if they are a person who cares, the other things are going to start to fall into place. And I would rather have a person who cares, who is full of the Holy Spirit, who just wants to be obedient to God, but who has never taught a thing in their lives. I can work with that person before someone who is a uh, has is a biblical scholar who can quote you the Bible backwards and forwards, but who have not learned the art of hospitality. And, and, and so we we have to. We have to understand that. Um, we only have about nine minutes. So I could go through more, but I want to make sure I answer your questions. So, or any comments that you have. And then, if not, then I'll share a few other things. But I will open it up. Yes? Yes. You have to get past the just fill the position with the just because that's what needed to be done. And um, yeah. I like to kill <laughs> Right. You, uh, in my opinion, now, uh, small groups isn't the only way you can do discipleship. So let me get, right, but we're focused on how do you do discipling in small groups. But in my opinion, you are better off not having small groups than you are having the wrong people leading small groups. Right, so if you don't have the right people to lead small groups, then don't do small groups because there will be damage done and there will be hurt done. Right. So then pray about getting the right people. Yes. Would it, so do you think it's the responsibility of the leader only to do the discipling or can you like pair a newer person up with somebody else in the group who is more mature? Um, you, that, great question. Since this is all about disciples making disciples, we, uh, there really is, you, you really can absolutely pair people up that are within that group because those in, that are in the small group who are maturing or perhaps at a, at a different level of maturity in that group, they should also be multiplying and making disciples. So absolutely, it's not really the the 
responsibility of the small group leader is not to make disciples of everyone. The responsibility really of the small group leader is to set the environment for everyone to enter into discipleship. Right. And so then, yes, then all of the others should, should be engaging in that process. Yeah? What if everyone thinks they're discipled and they're not? Ah. <laughs> so if everyone thinks they're discipled and they're not, so that would mean that in some way they have a misperception of what discipleship is or where they are at. And so we need tools or things that would help them to see, right? Um, and so we, we need the, the, a lot of that comes from asking some very pointed, direct questions um, that, um, and, and not sugarcoating it and, and saying, you know, Here's what this really means. Unless you can answer this in the affirmative, you need discipleship. And so if you go down and if someone answers some of these things and say, okay, you are able to, not only able to, you have demonstrated love to someone who has ridiculed you and or rejected you to to uh, someone who has a completely different point of view. You you can if you want. I'm, I'm trying not to use names and label people, but you know whether it's Democratic, Republican, LGBTQ, or whatnot. It's like, but you can start asking these very pointed questions and saying, you know, unless you you really have intentionally engaged in this and you do this and this is how you are walking. You have not, you have something in which you need to be discipled. Right? And so, it's not easy because people, we, and this is just human nature. We like to think of ourselves as being better than what we are. Right? We all like to think of ourselves as being good. Which actually does not align with the biblical account at all. But we like to think that, right? And we like to think of ourselves as fundamentally having good intentions, right? And we tend to engage in comparison and we compare ourselves against other people and say, compared to that person, I am better. But that is not the standard. So sometimes we have to get them to realize that the standard they are using is the wrong measuring stick, right? Because God didn't ask us to be better than our neighbor, you know, John or Sue or whoever, right? He said, be holy as I am holy. So if we start pointing them to that standard and say, okay, this is the standard. Like, be holy as I am holy. Have, can you honestly, with complete sincerity, say that you've arrived at that standard? If they answer that question honestly, then the answer would be yes, right? Because unless, oh, I need discipled. Everyone in here needs discipled. Uh, um, if I cannot sit here and say that I have met the holiness standard of God, that I am, you know, that I've reached that standard of perfection, that I am, who can say that if we're being honest? 
Right. There is always something that we need to work on. Always. Right. And so we should always be in a discipleship process. You never stop learning. Yeah. But we do need different people because what happens is we might we might reach a level where where if we feel like we've plateaued, it's probably because we have not yet then put ourselves or allow ourselves to be put in a position where we're being stretched. Right? And so we're playing it safe because we got comfortable and we, we feel good. It's kind of like uh, if you have someone who, you know, when you're, when you're the freshman going into something, you know nothing, you kind of feel like you're figuring everything out and it can be an uncomfortable period. And then all of a sudden you're the senior and you're like, you're riding high, right? Because you have this thing down and you can stay there. Or you can suddenly put yourself in a position where you're the freshman again, right? Um, and so, and so that that is the piece that we also need to challenge people with. If you feel comfortable, then you have probably stopped. I won't say this a hundred percent, but you have probably stopped hearing the voice of God because God doesn't generally leave us comfortable. Yeah. Right. It does not leave us comfortable. That is not, you know, he is constantly causing us to grow and pointing out something else. It's like peeling away an onion. Oh, we got through that layer? Okay, now we're going to work on this. Right? And so we have to, if we start having those type of conversations with people to understand that this is what this means, um, and so you're never done, Right, then I think we can see. And then another analogy I sometimes use for people who who have that right, where they don't they want to say I don't need disciple. It's like coaching, right? Experts have coaches, right? Because they know there's still something they can improve in. A lot of your best athletes they have performance coaches. Why? Because they know there is still aspects of their performance that they can improve. They may be at the top of the game. They may be the person everyone's looking to. And you know what? They're still working with a coach. And sometimes that coach isn't better than them. They're just an outsider they trust. They're just an outsider they trust to give a perspective, a different perspective, because they can see things that we can't see. We become blind, right? And there are things we just cannot see that we need others to help us to be able to see. So that would be some of the messaging I would use.